Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayalat trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Real Life Rescues. I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovi Maisel. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, you see a need, fill a need. That's sort of our, our motto here of United Atzala. And we, we basically, whenever there's a need that arises that we're seeing from uh, social interactions, from interactions we have as, as um, people who are treating patients out in the community, uh, whether it's a small need, obviously, you know, for an immediate patient or for a much larger need that's affecting the entire populace, we see the need. We want to try and fill that need so we can actually, you know, help as much as we can. I think I think you said, Rafael, that's the motto of our organization, and and that's essentially how we started. Maybe maybe we'll make a different podcast about how this organization started, but uh, <laughs> it's a long story. It's that's- a long story in itself. But but essentially, I always say that this organization happened. It wasn't really uh, uh, created with a master plan, and 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 I think it really resonates with what what you said as as see a need, fill a need. I mean, in a nutshell. It was really seeing this need of faster response because there aren't ambulances on every street. Um, and, and the ability to harness community um, to this mission is really a, what, what made this happen. And, and understanding that if we have community that can be the first responders, the first first responders uh, that can bridge that gap until the ambulance comes, um, th- then let's do it. And then it, well grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. But um, the need was 90-second response, cardiac arrest, choking victims, whatever it is, to get that responder there and and, and bridge that gap. And, and, and looking at the needs, I mean, it really connects to everything that we did along the way. And maybe we'll be able to talk a little bit about the, the, different, the different examples of, 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 of what we're doing here today. Yeah, I mean, like we, like you mentioned, right from the beginning, and then we've obviously... Uh, developed and and one might even say snowballed uh, in in size since then, um, going from a, a very small group of people uh, when it was started uh, to over sixty five hundred volunteers today across the country, and it's all community based, like you were saying. The it's the people next door, it's the people in the next building who are dropping what they're doing, going and providing that interim response until the ambulance arrives and then uh, sort of starting the the chain of survival. Yeah, important to say that we're, when we're talking about community and people next door, these are trained, certified EMTs, paramedics, and doctors, not just a, a layperson on the street that the, that knows how to do compressions. Right. And, and that was another need which we saw, which we filled, was teaching people, is going out to the community and running courses across the country. Um, even I know you were very involved in building the algorithm of, of how we decide where we're going to have courses and where we need more volunteers to supply to those communities that are under underserved or a little further out in the periphery of the country um, to uh, basically receive uh, care and response as fast as they can. I mean, better care. In general, we're talking about periphery and, and, and the remote areas. Israel is not a big country, but that said... The periphery here, people uh, um, are 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 more under are, are are underserved in the periphery here. And we talk about underserved. We're talking about uh, quality medical care in areas that are distant, sometimes two hours away from a from a, 
uh, quality care hospital. Or three or, or four. Or, or even three or four hours away. I mean, it doesn't get more than that. Otherwise, you're leaving yeah. the country already. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> when an emergency um, or, or, or unfortunately, when you, when you need to go through prolonged um, uh, treatments, um, the ability to get that in high quality close to home is limited in the periphery here. And, and when we look about see a need, uh, fill the need, I mean, it goes back to the core of what we're doing. I mean, we're most known for our ambucycles, right? We have over a thousand ambucycles driving around. And for the, maybe we've mentioned this in the past, an ambucycle is like a motorcycle, a moped that is fully uh, decked with, uh, um, with, with the, all the life-saving equipment that's in an ambulance, except for the stretcher, basically. And, and, right, an ambulance motorcycle, essentially. And when we saw the need was when, when you're standing in an ambulance in traffic in a, in a dense populated area in the metropolis. And, and you're trying to get to that cardiac arrest, but your rig just can't make it through traffic. And you see the pizza delivery guy race right by you through traffic with that pizza, getting there faster. You understand that there's a better way to do it. And then we went forward and, and started this AmbuCycle um, program with over a thousand AmbuCycles today, getting to emergencies within 90 seconds and two minutes in the most terrible rush hour and when, when traffic is worst, but... Help is there. It's nice you touched on that. I actually, actually uh, responded to a car accident. Was it a week ago? Um, and I was leaving the office, and there was a car accident down on Herzl Street. Well, yeah, Rafael, you're one of those crazy volunteers. I'm one of those crazy volunteers on an ambicycle. It's on an ambicycle. It's true. I drive an ambicycle. <laughs> I, I grew up never thinking. I think I thought I always thought motorcycles were like horrible things, and and like they are death traps, and they and are <laughs> only for people with like bandanas and and crazy long hair. Which um, for those of you <laughs> listeners, I'll just say that Rafal walked into the room here with to make band. this podcast with a big orange bandana on his head, That's true. a helmet in his hand, and a motorcycle jacket. But I don't have the hair. I'm there. <laughs> I don't have the hair. Um, so the uh, but that that's you know when I grew up that's that's what I was thinking and and uh, it was it was definitely not me I was never like that wild kid. hell's angels exactly so I always that say, was my vision I, I always say that United Atsala is the Jewish version of hell's angels <laughs> <laughs> we call them the orange angels something like that yeah um and what basically I was, I was growing up I was like never going to ride a motorcycle ever ever in my life that was like not a thing on my list to do and I ended up doing that um primarily because. You know, I didn't really have much of another vehicle because, you know, I was I was always taking my personal car out to medical emergencies like a lot of our volunteers do. And uh, and then uh, my wife was like, no, I want the car. So go get a motorcycle. <laughs> it's like, OK, she really just wants to get rid of you. She I'm just, just, I'm just pretty saying. much, pretty much. <laughs> going for the life insurance. It's all, it's all it's all about. <laughs> she saw the need, met the need. <laughs> Essentially. Anyways, what I was saying was I, I was Let's get back to, to seriousness here. I was responding to a, a, a car accident on Herzl Boulevard, um, which is not too far away from our office. And I was just at the beginning of Herzl Boulevard when I got the emergency and I was further up. Um, and as I was driving, obviously traffic backed up rather significantly. Uh, Herzl Boulevard is two lanes um, and it's very, very tight, especially when buses try to move around away from the accident and block traffic. Um, so I ended up actually having to go on the sidewalk. Um, and when you need, you, you do it. And that's uh, something which the AmbiCycle allows you to do. Um, the pedestrians weren't so thrilled with it, but they got out of the way pretty quick. <laughs> um, but we made it and, you know, treated the person. Thankfully, it was only a light injury. And then I had another call right next to it. It went on and on. But the idea is that they really do work and and they allow you to get to, their, to the emergencies very quickly. Whereas if I was in an ambulance rig, it would have taken me an extra 10, 20 minutes. 
Proof is in the pudding. Hundreds of calls every single day responded to by Ambicycles in under two minutes. Yeah. Literally. And uh, it's, it really, really is that fast. It's, it's mind-boggling, but it works that way. It's also, it's the network of volunteers that we created that people drop what they're doing and run next door or run nearby. Uh, or people not too far away jump on their ambicycle and get there really quickly through traffic. And that's how we get down to the, to the response times that we have. And, uh, yeah, and I, and I think that it's not only about response times and things like that when we're talking about our organization and see the need, meet the need. It's along the way in the 18 years of the existence of this organization um, uh, we, we've, we've seen and identified different needs coming up because we're a community-based organization, um, which is essentially, we, we always say it's, it's a volunteer organization, community-based. We have 6,500 volunteers. So we see, we identify as, as we develop different needs coming up from the community, which are all within the circle of, uh, of, of, of the life savings. Some are in the 92nd a period which is a life-threatening situations, but there are others that we've identified along the way as very essential in, 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 in when it comes to psychotrauma, which we've addressed in, in, in our in, in previous podcasts or in other projects that we've identified. There's there's a phenomenon in Israel that it's not um, not just Israel. It's all I, over I, I guess it's all over the world, but um, of, of elderly people that have no family that are alone um, that are not uh, homebound and, and, and are restricted to some medical facility, but, you know, we'll just not have anyone looking after them, checking in on them, saying good morning or whatever. And these people, you know, all have medical conditions and whatnot, and they will, they'll go to their GP and then they'll stop going to their GP or their right. family doctor. A lot of them doctor. don't, don't want to be a burden on, exactly. on the doctor. They don't feel and they're then worth they'll end it. Up, and then they'll end up not getting their prescriptions right or not taking their medication, deteriorate, and then pass away without anybody knowing until, well, depending on the weather, um, the smell coming out of the apartment. Right. And 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 seeing, and when we talk about the need was we understood that there, that there are, are deaths here that are simply... Um, preventable preventable literally just by having someone check in on you uh, someone monitoring you and this is what uh, this was a need that we identified years ago and we started this project called ten kavod which is in hebrew uh for uh giving, giving respect yeah, giving, giving honor respect. and 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 these volunteers our emts will go in to these people visit them once a week take their vital signs um and, and get this all monitored by a by a doctor uh, and, and and watch the patterns. And if we see any change in the patterns, they'll be referred to go to their GP or their family doctor to get checked out, get blood tests, um, modify their uh, prescriptions, and this way prevent a, a, a an unnecessary death. Not to mention that this also on a, on a human level gives them more respect and and you know talking to them, um, taking away a little bit of a, of that loneliness. Yep. Yeah, which which is a disease. It is absolutely in in in, in, in our days. It is and defined leads, as a disease, by and the leads way. to depression as well. Um, and it also gives the people something to to look forward to because it's not just a, we go in once in a while. It's every week. The volunteers take it upon themselves to visit every week, spend an hour with with the person. It's their person, meaning right. it's a, a personal relationship is developed with these people, and in many cases. When the volunteer will come in just for that routine checkup and, you know, cup of coffee with them and discussion, they'll identify in many of the cases they've walked in on patients that are in a, a acute medical condition. Yeah. 
Um, we've done dealt with. Uh, I actually um, I visit two people every week um, as part of the project, uh, and I run the team in, in the town where I live, and we have fifteen uh, people that we visit. We're trying to expand, I guess, a little bit in the, in the future. Um, and and we do it, it, it. Literally, we've saved a person's life. There was one person who was having a. Uh, the beginnings of a cardiac arrest, which was noticed by the volunteer who is checking his blood pressure, um, and said, "Have you been to your doctor recently?" And he hasn't. He hasn't taken. He didn't take his medication, of course. Um, and uh, he just said, "Okay, we have to go to the doctor." They called the doctor at the time. And the doctor said, "If this is the readout, go to the ER." And he went to the ER, and he was in in the beginnings of a, of an MI. Um, and yeah, it, they, it, and they it, caught it, and they treated him, and he you know he's sitting with them, and because the volunteer went in there. And he checks every single week and says, "Did you did you take your medication? Did you take your medication? Did you take medication?" It gets annoying when when the person gets asked that all the time. So he started taking the medication, and uh, they're still visiting. They've been visiting together for four years now. And and that's just another example of a see the need, meet the need um, uh, program that came that, that evolved um, from within the activity. And 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 moving forward as we're developing and expanding into the deeper into the community, and the organization is constantly growing. Um, and I say we don't need to go out and recruit people because it's the community coming forward, saying we want to become part, we want to uh, re- reinforce our presence in the commu- in our own communities. It's people showing responsibility um, and, and taking responsibility uh, within their communities and, and taking responsibility for people around them. And we try to meet the needs. Obviously, everything that's done in this organization. It's a, I don't know if we ever mentioned this in the past is, is the organization is a volunteer organization, which is, um, it's not, it's a non-government organization, not funded by government funds either. It's all done. Everything we do, we do for free. Right. And, and as, as it's all, all donation based yeah. and it's all donation based. So, so we, we, whenever we see a need and we try to meet it, we go out and do campaigns and, and raise funds and, 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 and get the community involved, get social uh, corporate social responsibility involved and, 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 and such to, to support these efforts. And, and I think that another, uh, well, another example is a, our most recent example maybe is, um, is, is we find that in the periphery in Israel, um, people that are uh, struggling uh, with uh, uh, with cancer and prolonged treatments uh, need, and, and can't get it in their in their area where they live need sometimes to go and drive four or five hours in traffic that is in order to go to get to their to their medical treatment so then, and that's each way each way so can yeah. you, you can imagine a, a, a child or even an adult needing to go to get their chemo or, or, or other special treatments, needing to get into traffic at four in the morning in order to get to the hospital in central Israel outside of Tel Aviv or something where the quality care exists. Um, so they need to get into the car at four in the morning, go through traffic four or five hours, get their treatment, and then once again, back into rush hour to get back to their home another three, four, five hours. And, and, and that's beyond... And above the, the the treatment that they're getting, right, and and, and, and dealing as, with for sure. And as, as as someone who just recently had to deal with that uh, for for a family member of mine, um, it's it's harrowing. Even when you do live close, like we live, thankfully not so far away from a hospital, we're only about half an hour, um, and the treatments themselves are two to three hours, sometimes even longer. Um, and you have uh, 
it, it's it's incredibly stressful. It's a stressful time. It's a time when you're already not feeling well, to put it lightly, uh, and the whole family goes into stress, even for for one person who has it. So it's not with with um, with situation like this where you have a family member. Let's say there's a child who who uh, is unfortunately suffers from or struggles with cancer, uh, and you have to take them to the hospital to get treatment. And a lot of times there are no pediatric oncology. Uh, departments even, they don't even exist in the periphery of Israel. Uh, so they have to come to the center of the country. Um, and in those instances, it's not just that child who's who's feeling the burden as the parents. The parents have to give up their work, and it's an entire day because it's four or five hours each direction plus the three, four hours of the treatment itself. Um, unless They may even have to stay over at the hospital sometimes because the distance too far. Uh, so they have to get a hotel. And then what do you do with the rest of the family? What do you do with the rest of the children over there? So we saw a need and uh, we're actually in the pilot program of, uh, of filling that need, of, of filling that need, having a, a just this past half a year, starting our airborne uh, medical unit uh, yeah. and, and activating our helicopters. So we just started an amazing pilot of a, of a getting these kids and, and, cancer uh, patients to these medical facilities by flying them over. Which um, cuts down, It basically, essentially, it's cutting down the transportation time. If we're going really far out to the periphery from about four hours driving, not direct, traffic, each direction. each direction, at more with traffic, uh, to under 50 minutes. <laughs> and that that's incredible because it turns out from an entire day thing, maybe even a two-day trip just for one treatment to a half-a-day trip, um, for you know, 45 minutes to 50 minutes in each direction, maybe less depending on where they are. Um, that's, I think, the maximum, right? It's pretty much 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you go there, and then you have the, your two, three-hour treatment, you go back another 45 minutes, and... Literally land at the doorstep. Right. It's like right outside the town where you happen to live, uh, and then you drive into the town, and, and you're done. Um, it cuts out an incredible amount of, of suffering for the patient, Who's yeah, and, and actually, actually, it's it's not only the treatment itself because what happens sometimes is after the treatment they'll end up driving four hours back home and then not feeling good and need to get back or start a fever or whatever mm. and immediately they need to get back to the hospital. Right. So you can imagine, uh, you can imagine. That. So we started this program and the feedbacks are phenomenal. Um, we're actually uh, while we're while we're doing while this we're podcast, recording, I can say that literally twenty five minutes ago, um, uh, a helicopter or. Our southern helicopter um, just landed in uh, Tel Shomer yeah. um, facility, which is right outside of Tel Aviv. And it took not one but two patients yeah. uh, from a the town mother, of Dimona. A mother and her child and her daughter, which are both struggling uh, uh, and, and and going through cancer treatments. And, and we feel humbled to be able to take part in this. Obviously, it's a very costly program, so we'll be going out, obviously, to... Uh, um, a, a, try and get funding for it. Try and get it. funding yeah, and support for this program, but w- but the feedbacks are tremendous from not only the families, but even the the medical facility itself. Uh, the feedbacks from their staff on on what the families are are feeling from this is is tremendous. Yeah, and they're they're very excited about it as well as as part of the project, and they're trying to help us with as much as possible, both uh, with allowing obviously the helicopters to land on the tarmacs, but also giving them space and. 
ability to, to, to linger as much as possible. Obviously, if there's another emergency transport that needs to happen, then our helicopter takes off and leaves. But uh, as, as accommodating in any way, shape, or form that they can um, and working together with us to, to continue to promote the project uh, because they, they recognize the value. It's, it's, it's a different ball game for them as, as treating a patient who's... They're saying it's bettering. I don't know what the word is. Making... Yeah. Bettering is that... Can I say bettering? You, you can say it, definitely. Bettering uh, the treatment. <laughs> bettering. It's, it's making it a lot more palatable uh, because you have a patient coming after only 45 minutes of flying uh, rather than four hours of traffic and all the stress that, that's involved. Um, and then turning around and again, only having 45 minutes on the way back after the cancer treatment when you're already nauseous and you already have all the the after effects of the chemo, um, not being stuck in transport in, in transport for four to five hours, um, which is which can be incredibly uh, arduous on on a patient. Um, and this is this is alleviating a lot of that. Uh, the families have been incredibly thankful. Um, we've received, like I said, like Dovey said, we've received a lot of uh, thanks both from the hospitals, the medical staff who was there, as well as the families. Uh, and we started getting obviously a lot of requests from people to participate in the program, and and we hope to be able to. We supply hope that, that we'll be able to deliver that. Um, we we believe we honestly believe that it's it will revolutionize uh, the the treatment for patients in the periphery. Actually, that uh, our first flights uh, ignited discussions in in the Israeli parliament and and uh, the government offices um, that are dealing with the periphery. And, uh, and creating discussion there to uh, um, understanding the need and, and possibly in the future uh, assisting in funding it. But we're as, as everything else that we've done in this organization in the past, we don't wait for the government here or the authorities to do something. We do it and then they end up... Um, Getting with the program, if so to speak, or we hope they do. <laughs> they don't always. Yeah, true. Um, but in, in any case, again, we saw the need, we feel the need, and we're going to continue feeling that need until you know there's a there's a program in place um, through our efforts uh, to to be able to respond to that. Um, and like you said, we've we've talked a little bit about the I guess the organization is founding. We talked a little bit about the giving respect or ten kavod project. Uh, now we talked about the the helicopter flights for oncology patients. Um, and there's, there's another one, there's another project like that, um, which is, uh, mutually beneficial both for hospitals and for our volunteers, um, both giving our volunteers extra training and extra levels of training and understanding of how emergency medicine works, both from the field and what the hospitals are seeing from their side, as well as assisting the hospitals who are completely overburdened in their ERs, um, with the overflow of influx of patients, um, and we have the, the hospital emergency room relief project, uh, where we send our volunteers into Once the, again, see the need, <laughs> see the, the need, uh, as our ambulance team, Actually, going. It, it, it all comes from the frustration that, of how long we needed to wait when we bring the patient to the hospital. I was just getting to, that. The, to the moment <laughs> they actually take the patient, take the patient. in yeah. while you're waiting there for an hour, uh, with your ambulance crew, with ready ambulance to go back out the field. Um, and basically, the, the the ERs in Israel, as, as many other countries, are completely overflowing uh, with patients. Uh, and the, the the patient intake here is is such where pretty much people go to the ER for all sorts of things, um, as in most other countries. Um, and the the staff in the ER, the nurses, the doctors, are, are completely overwhelmed, especially in the triage sector. And what we saw was that maybe we can alleviate part of this 
overflow, if we send volunteers into the hospitals, A, to get more training, obviously, um, learn how the triage takes place in the hospital, what the hospital is looking for, and alleviate a lot of the basic um, protocols that the hospitals do could be done by our EMTs. So taking blood pressure, taking your initial triage, taking blood, taking blood uh, checking the oxygen levels, checking out the person on doing the basic checkup of the person to get the baseline before they go into the ER uh, is something which, you know, the, the initial triage and intake can be done by our volunteers. It's a force multiplier to the, to, to the, to the medical staff in the ER. Right. Uh, and it's a win-win because then our EMTs, that are in the ER doing this 20, 30, 40 times a shift, when they end up going out into the field and getting to a patient and needing to wait with a patient because there's no ambulance available yet and they need to start IV lines or whatever or or or, 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 or just treat the patient, they're, they're much more professional about it. Um, their clinical eye becomes much sharper. Yeah. And, and they pass that information forward to their fellow responders in the field. We just had a message yesterday where uh, people were saying, like, you know, if you start an IV... It's always best to do it on the left side because they put the patient in and the right arm is over on the other side of the ambulance. So, you know, thinking about that when you're in the field, it, for you, it doesn't matter because you're with the patient. Stick an IV in wherever you can, you know, whichever arm you want. But for the patient, it's going to matter the next step of the process down the road. Now, our volunteers are going into the ERs and understanding what the ERs are looking for. They're going to be able to understand that and pass that information to the rest of the volunteers as well. And not, not to mention, of course, it alleviates and frees up the nurses and the doctors in the ER to be able to go deal with the more serious cases that are going on and provide treatment to the patients and make things move a lot, a lot faster. We started this with one hospital a number of years ago. We're now, I think we're with 18 or 20 hospitals around the country. 23. 23. Wow. Um, and people are just clamoring over it because they recognize how essential and how helpful it's been. Uh, so we've talked about a lot of seeing the need, meeting the need again, and we can go, I mean, we can go on and on because a lot of what we're doing here is, it, it resonates with, and, and my guess is, and when we speak in the future again, we'll probably hear about more projects that, that, I was going to say, we're involved. not, we're not, we can go on and on. We will go we on will, and on. We will go on and That's on. That's what we do. And yeah. We're see, we're honestly, because, because when we're working with a volunteer organization, we have a lot of motivation. Um, it's, it's not about just getting the job done. It's working within the community uh, with people that are motivated um, from a very personal uh, standpoint of wanting to help, wanting to assist, not just, you know, doing the job and finishing and clicking out, uh, uh, clocking out at the end of the shift. We're talking about people that live uh, live this mission. And, and therefore, the the uh, we're constantly seeing needs, sifting through them, seeing what are the ones that are that are the right ones for us to to assist with. Um, and, 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 I mean, just looking at what we spoke about today, we're talking about whether it was ambucycles to get through traffic or, or, or e-bikes. And if we're talking about, uh, uh ER, um, uh, for relief, multiplying, project, yeah. relief project there, we're talking about, um, uh, providing the, the dignity and, and preventing, um, uh, deaths of, of elderly people that are at home. And, and, and preventative palliative care, which is exactly, and of course, just recently, uh, our new project of, of of assisting in the periphery with our uh, airborne medical unit. So, That's right. and they're transferring on oncology patients and others to to hospitals to receive the care they need uh, as fast as they can. Um, so, I guess we'll, we'll sign up just by saying, keep your eyes open out there uh, when you're out there on the field and you see a need, even if it seems like it's something much bigger than what you can do as an individual. Uh, pass it onwards, pass it up the chain of, uh, of command, 
see if uh, there's other resources in your community that you can use uh, or enlist to try and provide a response uh, to that need and and fill the need because, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's going to be saving lives. And besides, it makes you feel so good. <laughs> it really does. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Great being with you guys. 